everybody welcome to the 207th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in, in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here um man i'm looking at myself in the camera for the first time i, I had a burly beard for a little while and now i shaved it off i i look like the golden child i look like a chubby all of our goddamn good luck sage i i it was so fucking hot with the beard man but I look like the chubby golden child. I kind of dig this look. Anyway, yeah. I, I mean, if if me growing the month beard was the reason for the Blazers playing well, holy shit, we need a better, we need a better uh, good luck charm, or they need to let me know what's what. <laughs> the rule is you don't change up anything after game one. You got to keep with what's going oh, because shit. the Blazers. No, that's not bullshit. That's how. No, 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 how, no. Oh shit. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because okay. I also changed up another thing. Since I don't have my new glasses yet, I can't fucking see on my TV. I make really good guesses of what happens because I know the scheme we run, and I know like what blurs sort of look like another blur. So today I watched it in my office uh, on the monitor so I could actually see the damn the game. So I might I might have double jinxed us, but then that should make both of my mistakes not really happen. Because I double negatived it. I don't know if that's how it works, but we'll give you a pass for this one because I don't know if anything would have helped the Blazers on this night. Kind of felt like one of those nights from the jump. The Lakers take game two, 111 to 88, in a game that was really over a couple minutes before the half. Uh, the the scary news of the night is Damian Lillard having to leave the game with two minutes left to go in the third quarter dislocating his left index finger while swiping at the ball. Uh, Anthony Davis's uh, heel uh, caught it and Damian was not able to return. X-rays were negative. And from Damian's mouth, he is playing in game three, says it's swollen, uncomfortable. So hopefully just uh, a lot of rest, uh, a lot of ice can get that going um, in the right direction. Thankfully it is on the non-shooting hand, but Dame finishes with the left with the best of them. And we want him, you know, at a hundred percent. That's what it's going to take. We're already down four players, but Sage, um, you know, aside from the Damian Lillard news, did you take anything away from tonight's game? I think Hassan played really well in his uh, fourth and fifth shift. He played hard. I don't know. Like I, I feel like, we as a team didn't play well. There was individual performers that played well, and I would add Hassan Whiteside's fourth and fifth stint into that. Oh, and Anthony Simons. See, I thought it was Gary Trent Jr. that stood out to me. I thought he played wonderful defense on LeBron James, frustrating him, uh, even stealing the ball uh, from him at midcourt. LeBron got, you know, physically upset when – Trent was picking him up 94 feet, shoving him away a couple of times. Of course, no foul was whistled, but there was a point where you almost felt like you don't need to send the double team. As Lamar Heard mentioned on the on the broadcast, make LeBron take a tough fadeaway jumper. Um, Gary Trent Jr. played really solid defense on LeBron, and you even saw it got to the point where Terry Stotts was shadowing uh, shifts, LeBron uh, and Gary Trent Jr. So that was a very interesting 
uh, to see a new development. And also he got his swag back uh, from the three-point line. You could tell he caught it in rhythm and just let it go. He was the only blazer that had it going from, from downtown. Uh, he hit, The stat sheet says 204. I only remember the ones that he splashed in. I thought he took a lot of good looks and was happy to see him have kind of a an early bubble type of performance from Gary Trent Jr. Those are things that I look for in, in this uh, blowout. You know, there's not much to take to take from it. I definitely think you need to watch the film. It's not a game you just throw away. The Blazers had a lot of instances where you're going to look at the film and they're going to be hitting themselves. Like they, they made a lot of mistakes on the offensive end. They, they, they didn't move the ball. They got just, Nobody boxed out, and they allowed the Lakers to tap out too many rebounds. But if we're looking positives first, I like what I saw from Gary Trent Jr. I think that the Blazers are going to need him in a big way if they're going to pull off this series. Game one, we did a lot of second and third efforts defensively. In this game, it was a lot of one effort plays or no effort plays to close out on the Lakers shooters. And you can see the difference in quality of shots and makes – they, they did not come out with the uh, type of intensity defensively, and that only compounded the fact that it wasn't our day offensively. So it the, the Lakers jumped out to a huge lead, and it was hard for us to make an effort to come back since both phases of our team weren't, weren't uh, as efficient as possible or weren't efficient. Yeah, and even though the score was out of hand, you still felt okay giving up 56 to the Lakers at half. That's Oh, yeah, you, you felt fine. Yeah, that's not a number that's going to blow you away and be like, what did we do wrong? I still feel like we gave up the same type of shots as we did in game one. The Lakers did shoot better from downtown, uh, going 14 of 38. The, the culprits there, Anthony Davis going three of four. There were a couple instances, both Nurkic and Hassan just, failed to even make an attempt to get on him. So they were both. It, it was that highlight video that they kept showing over and over on all of the like intros and teasers, Anthony Davis hitting the, the wing three. I don't know whose responsibility that was, but it should have been one person to at least jump out at him. And then you, you saw Anthony get confident. He took some pretty high level shots and made them. It's because he took easy bunnies and made them in the first quarter. So, like, we, when we give up so many points, great percentages in the paint, no wonder a guy like Anthony Davis shot so well. Actually, I looked this up at halftime, and I didn't include tonight's game because it definitely would have made, made the statistics look worse. But the regular season and bubble with Hassan on the court versus the bubble with Nurkic, do you think we're better defending the three in the regular season and in the post, in the paint, in the regular season or in the bubble, what do you think we've done better defensively? I don't know. It's hard to keep the two, the two separate. This totally. has been the longest season of anyone's lifetime. Hassan has been playing against second units in the bubble, so maybe those numbers. I use Hassan's regular season and bubble, and then I just used uh, Nurkic's minutes. In the regular season, we gave up a 57% paint percentage. And in the bubble, we're giving up 68%. And then in the bubble, we are giving up 41 from three. And in the regular season, 39%. So shockingly, 
our defense is worse today than it was in the regular season. And I think a lot of teams are coming to that conclusion. Um, I watched inside the NBA after the Mavericks tied up the series with the Clippers and Charles Barkley was asking Kenny Smith, you know, why, why is the defense so awful? Well, Kenny pointed it out. The bigs are being asked to play drop coverage on the pick and roll, allowing shooters like Kemba Walker or um, Luka Doncic just, just to stroll up and get these open looks. Until coaches learn to adapt to a modern offense, I think we're only going to continue to see defenses decline. And you factor in the bubble. We said this age, it's easier to shoot in an open gym. Mm. There's no fans either way. So that's not really a surprise that our, our defense has gotten worse. Um, I still think if we're, we're looking at, at impact, I think Nurt give us, gives us the, the bigger overall. Go, oh, overall absolutely. Impact. Overall, he is a far superior, um, a far superior center. But I saw a lot of negativity today about Hassan. and. So you mentioned the fourth and fifth shifts. Let's talk those first three because it was terrible. Like he shouldn't have even showed up to the arena if he was going to play like that in the first three shifts. Like there was a jumper he took that like he didn't even get off the ground and it got blocked. Like he's such a tough player to evaluate because he looks so good in spurts. And other times he doesn't look like he's trying. And I do think he's getting into it verbally with Dwight Howard way too often. I think that's taking him out of his game. He needs to focus on himself and bring that that game one Hassan because he's clearly a talented player. But we've seen this throughout the bubble with him. He has a good game. He follows it up with kind of a dud. And then he'll come back with a good game. But we just need more consistency from players across the board it's not just a Hassan Whiteside problem we need more consistency I don't think Hassan was the major reason we lost like no this just like game one was a team win game two was a team loss plus minus it was a team loss but Hassan was a negative one like we're picking out you're picking out the worst possible thing he did like I think that we're forgetting the times that he contested and actually put in effort defensively and got rebounds. I don't know. Like if we're just talking this game, I think Hassan did better statistically than Nurkic did. I think they both struggled, but I would say Hassan had brighter notes than he did. I'm also looking directly at game flow. So yeah, I, do have I, mean, an I don't think this is a game to evaluate either player on. Like I said, nobody played well. But when I see Hassan just get beat for rebounds during shifts, that's against second unit bigs. Like that can't happen. And there's, there's just times where he's not picking it up. Like you can tell he is, he didn't show up and then he comes out and then he blocks Anthony Davis a shot and like, Oh, welcome to the party. Again, this is not just an anti-Hassan rant. This is just what I've noticed since he became a Portland Trailblazer. Like he's just an inconsistent player with his motor. Like he but has wonderful. At the same time, bro. Like we don't have good discipline for rebounds. So if it was if it was the Ed Davis pairing, like if Ed Davis happened to be on the team, 
I know that there's two people fighting for the ball. Like it's the same thing with our rebounding this year. Like when Hassan's in, everybody else kind of assumes Hassan gets it. And then they run back on offense, getting ready for the outlet pass. It doesn't happen because it's a three on one opportunity for the rebound. Yeah. I just think the Lakers took advantage of our jumbo lineup or actually we didn't take advantage of it. We Terry Stotts is uh, to, to blame, I think, a lot for this loss as well. The offense, which has been so brilliant throughout the bubble, has really come to a screeching halt after the first quarter in game one where they put up 36 points. They only had 64 points those remaining three quarters, and they only put up a, just a, a, a dismal 88 points uh, in, in game two. So that's 152 points over the last seven quarters, averaging 21.7 points per quarter. Uh, in today's NBA, that is going to get you an L every single time. I don't care if you're playing the Houston Rockets or the Cleveland Cavaliers. You have to put up much more than 21 points per quarter to get it done. And I saw a lot of standing around. It wasn't just Hassan. It, Mello was isoing. CJ was isoing. You know, there, there just wasn't any movement of any sort. And then when the Blazers did get an open look, it wasn't going in. It was just the equivalent of like what could go wrong did go wrong. But what makes me a little apprehensive going into game three is Terry Stotts had complete game film of what the Lakers were going to do defensively. And by my account, they didn't really change anything defensively in game two, yet we still saw the same stagnated, stagnated offense where Either Dame or CJ would get the ball and they would dribble it down, try to drive in the paint into the teeth of the defense or their players, and then take a contested jumper. Like, if we have Hassan and Nurkic in there, we have to trust them to make decisions in the middle of the floor. We have to trust them to score when they've got the ball with the back of their basket. If if Kuzma or Markeith Morris is on either one of those bigs, just dump it into them. You're going to get a high-quality look instead of just wasting – time on the clock and allowing the Lakers to really suffocate our guards out on the perimeter with that trap like the trap works if we don't make it work and what I'm saying by that is if we allow the Lakers to be aggressive on defense and attack Damian and CJ while the other three players just stand around in the corner that plays right into the hands of any defensive coach we watched the OKC game today and we saw what and last uh, their last game when they all stood around it be, it goes right into the defenses, like it, it it helps the defense. Every possession we don't have any other player movement, and it kind of was reminiscent of early year Blazers when we were just isoing like sixty five percent of the time. It was a bad look to revert back to, and I hope that we can get back to a more uh, player movement, team movement type of game. But you know, like with with our scheme. There has to be some sort of standing around for certain players, but it's not everybody. We can't we can't force movement everywhere, but there can't be any movement. So that it was like the uh, anti stats offense is what we were doing right there. I mean, if you have Damian Lillard, if you go back and watch the games, whether he's coming off of a pick and roll or trying to split it, he's occupying two Laker defenders, and there's always an extra one in the vicinity. That means there's three defenders really keen on on, da- on Damian Lillard. All it takes is one Blazer wing player or post to flash to the middle, flash open space. 
again, the Lakers will probably make one rotation, but that means you're leaving somebody wide open. One mm-hmm. cut, one pass, you are going to pick apart this defense. And what do you know? They will lighten the pressure off of Damian Lillard if we make them pay. And then Dame can operate in a traditional setting. Which yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's when the pick and roll takes three Lakers, it, we're playing three on two. There's You can always manufacture an open shot, but this day it wasn't happening. No, there was just way, there was no energy for, from the jump uh, from the entire squad. I mean, they played. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to to consider the fact that we had a chance to go up 2-0. We may not get this chance in the series again to go up two games, and we came out so flat. Uh, we had only played one game over the last four days, so rest really shouldn't have been. Um, you know, fatigue should not have been an issue. On the other hand, every game since we came into the bubble was basically a game seven. So maybe mm-hmm. they just were mentally drained. Okay, Blazers, you get your mulligan there if that's the case. But the Lakers are going to show no mercy. They're they're going for the same crown that you're going for. You're going to have to find those games in the playoffs. And we've seen this Blazer team over the past couple of years really sputter down the stretch of of whenever they lose a series, you can tell they look really gassed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they put a lot of effort into every single game that we've played. If the next few games we play with the intensity that we've shown in every single game, it's their mulligan. We talked about it last game. Like our guys look tired, even when they are competing their ass off. So we don't know how their bodies are feeling and they've been putting a lot of strain on their bodies. So it, it really is a, a environment that we can only make our guesses on and i hope that the next game they actually play with the the intensity that it deserves because just think about the lakers they gave up their future for the next five years for this this is it for the lakers this is this this is is their championship they have to win this championship or shit can go sideways completely for 36 year old lebron james is not getting it done sorry he's fantastic this is this is their year, and Anthony Davis is a free agent. But you know, back to the game, blowouts are inevitable. They happen every year in the postseason, even on the biggest of stages. I recall the Boston Celtics I, the Memorial Day massacre in '85 over the Lakers, Game One, blew them out by 30. They end up losing the series. The Blazers themselves have lost in blowout fashion. '92 Game One Finals, um, 2000 Game One Western Conference Finals. They made those two. Is extremely competitive. You look at the Utah Jazz in 97. I think they scored like 50 points, lost by 40, still took the Bulls to six. Blowouts happen for whatever reason. When you get into a long series, whether it's early in the early in the series or or later, these kind of an statistical anomalies, outliers, so to speak, they just happen. And I think the Blazers really need to keep perspective and they cannot lose this perspective because this is what we said would be the worst case scenario is getting blown out and it feeling like the Lakers can just take off from here, but the Blazers cannot let this game beat them twice. They have to look at it point of view of it's a seven game series. It is now a five game series. you got your split, mm. whether that's in the bubble in Los Angeles in Portland, it doesn't matter. You took game one. They took game two. That that's all that the numbers say. Numbers never lie. You're one, one, five game series. You just got to win three of two. You let this one go to the side. You learn from it and you come out and and you play better. What can we learn from this specific game? Absolutely learn that if they don't bring it mentally 110%, 
this same result is going to happen because the Lakers are, like I said, they're gunning for that number one spot too. They are going to show no mercy. You think they want to be upset as a one seed to the eight seed Blazers? Hell no. The Blazers know they didn't bring it mentally. We can make excuses for that. And I think some are are valid. You know, I'm not just sitting, going to sit here and crush them because they put their heart and soul just to get here. But the bottom line is the Blazers are going to have to come out with more urgency. The Lakers played like the team down 0-1. They played more desperate. That's typically what happens. We saw the same thing from Milwaukee today. Mm. But the Blazers are going to have to now be the desperate team. And as an underdog, you have to play with just more desperation. I, I just need to see more. I can't have Alex Caruso coming out of nowhere and tipping you know, rebounds out to his shooters. You got to put an ass into somebody and box them out. Make them feel you and grab a rebound and start the outlet and go down the other end of the floor. We just don't box out. We as a five-man team just don't box out. It, it It's not part of the DNA of this team, even when we have rebounders. We have guys that, you know, we were the number one rebounding team two years ago, and I know Al Farouk is an elite rebounder for his size, but we just get demolished rebounding-wise especially on the defensive boards where when we give up second chance and third chance points, it's just kind of humiliating because it happens every single game. The officiating has been kind of one-sided, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to call a foul on too aggressive of a box out. And if they do, then we have some real bad shit we have to worry about. Yeah. I think if you're the Blazers, just like we have always said when they have, you know, Gary Trent Jr., for example, hitting two off the side of the backboard in game one and hitting that, that clutch shot, they have to have a short memory. They have to put this one, you know, learn from it, put this one in the rear view and really look ahead. View game three as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. And you go up 2-1, you take the Lakers' best punch and you go up a game on them, now we know we really can settle in for a long series. If they come out and do a similar, you know, easy dub, they're going to think, okay, two more of these babies, and we're going to go off to the the second round of the playoffs. So Blazers need to attack game three. Game three, I think, is going to tell us everything we need to know about the series. By all means, if we win this game, I don't think – I'm not necessarily saying we, we win the series, but if we lose this game, I, I think it's going to be a very difficult hill for the Blazers to climb to come back and win, giving the Lakers two straight wins. And that's what I talked about in the preview episode uh, of this series is you can't let the Lakers string together consecutive victories. You have to, if this is a true heavyweight bout, the Blazers have, they got knocked down. They have to get back up and deliver a bunch of their own. The Lakers are kind of like a running team in football where if they get the lead, they're going to suffocate you. And that's what they did tonight. We can't we can't allow getting punched in the face and taking it too long to recover or, you know, getting trucked and taking too long to recover. It, we have to have that short memory of uh, of we messed up this play, combine it with another mistake. Mistakes are going to happen, but we can't let the same mistake demolish us over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think another positive I take away from this game is the fact that Damon CJ and Nurk didn't have to log heavy minutes. This was the mm-hmm. first game where they weren't mentally drained after the outcome. 
you know, this was the first game where the game didn't come down to the final possession. It wasn't close all the way throughout. It was our first blowout in, since the pandemic hit. Long time since we've seen mm. this type of result. Um, hopefully they can just kind of shake it off and just exhale a bit, ex- exhale a little bit and realize that, oh, it's okay. Okay. Like, this is fine. This happened. You know, we could tell from the jump this wasn't going to be our night. When, when CJ is not able to hit multiple corner threes, open wing threes, uh, we're not going to win. Like, like he's our ace. He's our se- he's our second in command. We need him to, to be able to go off and to be Dame's running mate. He did it for, for that reason. And it, it just happens. There's no other explanation when great shooters – can't find the touch. I think the Blazers just need to go back to their identity and their identity is the Damon Nurkic pick and roll. If they try to break that up, you have to have other uh, player movement off the ball. I think Carmelo Anthony needs to go back to just being a catch and shoot player. Way too many isolations from Melo, one dribble pull-ups. That's not in his bag anymore. He is much better at the catch and shoot. Um, I- I'd like to see more post-ups in the Nurkic and white side. And then, you know, See if we can get some movement for Gary Trent. Like he's one of our best shooters. I don't think we need to rely on him just to be um, catch and shoot. Can he come off screens and catch and shoot, not just stand in the corner? Um, so I just think overall the Blazers need to get back to playing Trailblazer basketball. And that that's moving, that that's cutting, backdoor cuts. We just didn't see any of that. And if you're going to stand around, you're going to get eaten alive by, by any NBA defense. They're gonna rel- they're gonna relish that. They're gonna encourage us to just hey stand around, dribble a hell out of the out of the shot clock, and enforce mm-hmm. a contested shot. That that's not gonna get it done for forty eight minutes. I think I think Mello just needs to. I think that he's a little hyped going against his best friend and in a playoff series. I think that it would be kind of. Silly for us. There's matchups where Mello posting up isn't the worst thing in the world, especially when it's like a smaller defender. I'm totally fine with that. But it was him trying to create a lot of plays off of the dribble drive and pull He's doing that 20 to 25 feet away from the basket. But that's not his. He needs to get in that block if he's going to do that. Worked one quick dribble and he's to the cup. Mello's not blown by anybody at 36 years old. How many shots did Melo take today? Well, he only played 27 minutes, but he was one for six. And I don't like the only one attempt was from downtown, which he missed. Melo has been a good three-point shooter. That's where he's really been. If if some if stuff like this happens next game, it's it's worrisome. Right now, it's like this is the one time our entire team has had an off day. And that shit, I mean, blowouts happen, bad games happen. Let's just not combine it with another bad performance because I I think game three is way more important to the Portland Trailblazers than it is to the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, and again, I still, for all of our faults that we had, you know, we, we still gave up 14 offensive rebounds and got out rebounded by, by nine, 50 to 40 on the glass. For the most part, I, I still liked the shots we allowed the Lakers to take in the first half. I think in the second half, our defense got a little lax. That's where we mentioned Anthony Davis just literally able to make himself a sandwich, have some chips, and then launch the shot before, you know, anybody came into the screen. But I liked that we didn't let LeBron 
get too many easy buckets. I, I liked the fact that they were posting up Anthony Davis quite a bit. Um, Kentavious Caldwell Pope probably had a ceiling game. And when I saw that, I was like, that's not really a good sign. Mm. You know, Kuzma's hitting, you know, dribble pull up threes. Like that that's going to happen. But those are the shots you, you want them to take. So, you know, we knew this wasn't going to be a sweep from the jump. I'm very fortunate we got one. So I think the Blazers just need to continue to hold serve on the defensive end rebound. I mean, that, that's the easiest thing to do on defense. Just, just rebound the basketball. Find it's your man. the most important thing too. And I think that's what's kind of hurting the Blazers a little bit is not being able to rebound and giving up consecutive possessions. It's, it's sucking their energy out and it's really mm. limiting their ability to get out on the break and run because we're clearly struggling in the half court right now. And we all know the playoffs are more of a grit and grind and possessions are, are fewer. The game slows down a bit. The, the Blazers getting easy buckets has been really difficult. And the times we had a chance, we, we kind of crapped the bed. You had Gary Trent Jr. to rip LeBron and then commit the offensive foul before making the layup. You have Mario Hazonia going. Those are the type of things that you, you can't do. You have, that's why I love winning Gabriel. He doesn't throw away possessions. He knows his skill set. And I'm not blaming Gary Trent for going on it, but you got to be smarter there. Mario Hazonia, on the other hand, I, I, can we just get a good game from him? A game, not not a, not a half. Can we get a good game from Mario Hazonia? Because he's got too much of a green light, and the Lakers are literally begging him to shoot the ball anytime he, he's on the floor. And when you're with Damian Lillard, I think we need to have that floor littered with, with shooters. So they have to pay some form of respect because right now they're just, they're just loading up on Dame and, and just mm. begging anybody else to beat us. The decision is Mario Hazonia taking an open shot and Damian Lillard. It's not even that hard of a discussion. They're just playing playoff basketball. I mean, we've been the victim of it, having streaky shooters for a long time. That's why Al Farouk Aminu is not on the team. We made that decision to change the good, a good portion of our roster was the fact that teams could cheat off of us and hound Dame and CJ. We saw Anthony Simons come in with Dame, CJ, Nurk, and Hassan, so uh a micro jumbo lineup all in one. I think mm. with the way Rio has performed so far in the bubble, I would have to start to think his minutes might be limited. Maybe none at all in game three. I think it might be time to see what Simons can give you. I know you lose some size. He hasn't again, been the best shot maker either, but he can create his own shot and he has shown the ability to get hot it might be worth it to see if it can get Dame and CJ off the ball a little bit. And, you know, if they're going to let Simons go, maybe he can beat an Alex Caruso off the dribble and just have one of those games where he's really flowing in the system. Um, at this point, I, I've seen enough of Mario Hazonia. I'm not trying to just kind of pile on the guy, but but I've, I've seen what he can do. And hmm. I don't want to see any more. I, I would rather let the next man prove himself. I'd rather see Jalen Adams than Rio right now. At least Adams knows his skill set and knows what a good and bad shot are. So I would definitely like to see what Anthony has in a game. And if he doesn't have it, Jalen Adams. I mean, we know what Rio is. These other two players are kind of unknowns. We hyped one up to outrageous heights now that the expectations are lower maybe it's time to see what ant can do 
And we spent a roster, a valuable roster spot on a guy like Jalen Adams. Time to see what he can do. Like, we need to get Dame and CJ rest in competitive games. And if those two can provide playmaking and shot making, I think the Rio Express is now over. Blazer fans need to be extremely grateful that Damian Lillard doesn't publicly complain or ever request a trade. It is borderline malpractice what Neil Olshay or Jody Allen, again, we don't know who is making those, those final calls, so I'm not going to blame one individually. It could be a collective. The fact that the Blazers knew Trevor Ariza wasn't going to be there or Caleb Swanigan we went out, yes, backup ball handler is a huge point of need. We went out and signed a G League player when, when Trey Burke, a, a valuable veteran who is now getting playing time, is doing wonderful things for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, we have no size. Once again, we put all our eggs into this Zach Collins basket, and he gets hurt again, and, and there's just not even a, a Jeff Green type. And I'm not saying Jeff Green is available, but he did get cut from the Utah Jazz, and the Rockets Ken picked Freed. him up. Yeah, there are players out there. And, you know, at the time, I I really was like, okay, it's probably good to to minimize the amount of players you're bringing, you know, due due to the coronavirus. Um, However, the NBA has done a fantastic job of of keeping the bubble intact, you know, knock Mm -hmm. on wood. But even if you are bringing a Jalen Adams, like that's not the player that I would have picked. Like if if you really want to give Damian Lillard the, all of the, the tools in the arsenal, what is Neil Olshay doing? And, and we saw this in the regular season too, when we had everybody hurt and he refused to, to bring anybody in. We've had how many, Sage, how many fucking trade exceptions have we had that he has just failed to use? And again, this could be Jody Allen as well. We do not know. So it's one of the two, because I know Terry Stotts isn't saying, oh yeah, don't, don't give me any extra help. And again, I'm not a huge Terry Stotts fan, but he is, completely blameless in this scenario. This falls all on management and ownership. You see, you see certain teams with like a 20 man co uh, bubble roster. And then you see us with a limited team and I get it. Like we're less talented than the opposing team. We probably should play our guys more, but wouldn't it be nice to have a fourth big, just a body. I think Jalen Adams was a worthwhile risk because I think he deserves an NBA contract and maybe we get lucky because you've seen it happen with Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson. The G League runner-up MVP? Sure, let's see what he can do. But when Caleb Swanigan was out, we really needed someone to replace him. Like We didn't have a body to replace a big body, and we've had such issues in the uh, the season with having post-depth at all having three post players seems luxurious to us but a normal team has four or five so we're we're still limiting ourselves on bodies even though i mean minimum contract we can afford to sign minimum contract players we have a very rich owner we can afford to have them it was just for whatever reason they don't find the need to have it kind of bewildering that we knew going into the bubble we would be without Caleb Swanigan, Trevor Reza, and Rodney Hood, which is a lot of depth. You know, basically losing two starters in Reza and Hood. And we went out and signed a, a small backup point guard with, with no experience. Again, and this is where 
like I, I'm not questioning Jalen Adams as as a player or a potential NBA roster owner, you know, you know, earning earning a spot on the roster, so to speak. But the Blazers are a young enough team. We don't need any more reclamation projects. We don't need any more, you know, diamonds in the rough or somebody that was was overlooked or whatever. We need fucking veterans who have at least been there, done that, that when they get thrown in the game, they're they're gonna at least keep the lead somewhat within distance and you know this is why we're kind of getting off topic a bit this is why this offseason is so crucial because you've got one of the best players in the league it's not time to fuck around with, with young young players anymore like we need to essentially do what the lakers did do what the clippers did you got to go all in when you have a top five player Kawhi lebron you do whatever you can to, to bring them some help and I think the Blazers are close. They just got to make some some smart moves and not be afraid uh, to make a move. I'm just looking at, you know, free agents right now. Like, you're telling me Greg Monroe couldn't play seven minutes for us? You're telling me Jonah Bolden can't play? You're telling me jo- Jonas Jarepko couldn't have helped us? Jarrell Martin? There's players that could have helped us at- that are chilling at home with expanded rosters, you can give guys another chance. Like Lance Thomas started for the nets for four games. You don't think that's not help. Like that's going to help him in his future prospects of finding work. So it could, it could have been a, a chance for us to give that guy who, you know, got drafted by the Kings and, never really got a chance to show out a chance to show out. And we didn't even give ourselves an opportunity to bring some height in, bring another, well, bring two bigs. I don't know. It, it, it seems really foolish to misuse our roster spots in a, in a time where it's condensed games. And, you know, we saw it tonight. Our roster is very shallow. Why not bring in a, Jarrell Martin. And we're in this position. We're talking about this because Zach Collins, what was described as left ankle inflammation after actually during the play in game versus Memphis, he had his MRI earlier in the week um, from Casey Holdall. The MRI confirms a left ankle malleolar stress reaction. Never heard of that before. So he's out for game two and will be reevaluated probably now in about four to five days, definitely probably out for games three and games four. Whenever somebody says reevaluated, it doesn't mean they're coming back. That does not mean they're coming back. Absolutely I, not. I am fully expecting and anticipating that Zach Collins is going to be out for a significant amount of time. It feels like his shoulder injury all over again. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, Zach definitely wasn't playing the best basketball of his career, but again, he was uh, another agile big body out there and you never want to see a player get hurt especially somebody who just got back from an injury Uh, hopefully it's not significant because again this is all about the first goal it was completed we made the playoffs after this just just shitty year i mean 50th anniversary gonna go down as one of the toughest years as a blazer fan we made the playoffs. Dame showed that he could be the best player in the NBA, especially over stretches longer than a week, two weeks, however however long you, you want to remember that, that magical run. And he's done that again in the bubble. 
you got your Haas Nurkic back. You found another great role player in Gary Trent Jr. CJ is clutch, just like he was last year. The pieces are there. You have trade chips as well. You have the 16th pick in the draft. The Blazers took game one. If they push this to six age, I'll be thrilled. Like that, that, that. We said this pre, uh, the preview series. Get this bad boy to six games. You feel really good going into next year. We're missing a lot of weapons. Like Trevor Ariza had just a rejuvenation in Portland. Yeah, he's 36 years old, but he can still go out there and defend at a high level and hit the corner three. Rodney Hood was hitting threes at a 50% clip before he ruptured his Achilles. Those two will be back. The Blazers have weapons. They're going to have the mid-level exception. Like So this is really all about competing. You're going up against a probably the top one of the top three teams in the NBA. The competition does not get much more difficult than this. So if you can go out there and prove to yourself with a shorthanded squad that, hey, we're not that far behind, like all you want is hope going into the offseason. We don't know when the season is going to start next year, but you still want to hold on to that hope. You know, like, oh, man, we played really well in that bubble. Dame's special. We can do this. You have to, as a fan, you have to have something to hold on to. And so that's what I'm looking for the remainder of this series or an additional series if we do advance. But just for this series specifically, can we make adjustments? Like that's what I'm really looking ahead in into game three, Sage, is what can the Blazers do differently? It doesn't necessarily mean it has to work, but we have to see something different because, you know, insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And and you mentioned it. We're getting Ariza back. Wouldn't he be a prototypical four in this in in the NBA today? He'd be the a great stretch four. As of right this second, we have two draft picks, a second and a first, the 16th pick in the MLE. We could potentially bring somebody in to take Zach's spot. So the fact that he's hurt and we have assets and we have Trevor Ariza waiting, it it it, it was not the right time for him to get hurt. Not like there is ever a preferred time for someone to get hurt, but we have assets, picks, free agency, like there's, I think we're going to bring in extra bigs in the off season. It is it, really imperative that Zach stays healthy and produces this next year, or it's going to be a very scary thought for him. Like he might get signed by some team to be their reclamation project in, in a, in the calendar year. Like he has to rest up and get good for this next season. Stage. The Blazers play Saturday, ABC, national broadcast only, 5.30 local tip, game three. This is not like a traditional playoff series. There is no going back to Portland, tied 1-1. Like, that would be the move. Going to a playoff game, it would be deafening inside the Rose Garden. But no, they're back in the same, same bat time, same bat place, the Orlando bubble. So this is what makes the bubble so interesting. There is no real momentum. Like the only momentum you have is from what you can generate internally. You're not going to get any boost from the fans. You're not going to get, you know, any home cooking, none of that. So the only thing that changes is you get to wear a different Jersey and you maybe see some virtual fans. That's it. You don't even get to see the logos on the court because that's only virtual. It's only what what we can see. Mm -hmm. So Sage, what do the Blazers have to do to kind of get their groove back? I think that it has to be within, like, I think they have to hype each other up. Like there is no added, like, you know, 
momentum shift. It, it has to be within. It has to be you hyping your team up. Like you see Melo talking to the guys. You see Dame trying to get them hyped up. Like I think it has to be all manufactured internally. Like, like we're seeing with everybody else. I mean, I guess like seeing fans wearing your jerseys could be a little boost, but really it's it's you and you against the world in this bubble. So I think it's on the players to really motivate themselves to uh, to play at a high level. Going into game three, after you've seen the first two games, where do you think the biggest opportunity is for the Blazers to, to take a 2-1 lead? It's Damian Lillard versus the perimeter defenders of the Lakers is always going to be the biggest mismatch we have not turning the ball over because they are sending doubles and traps at him. So I think he has to take his spots and know when to kick when it's appropriate to kick for him getting, getting his and and getting his other teammates involved because you see him, you saw him for the first time in the last you know month of basketball dribbling into traps and creating, getting turnovers. And, uh, you know, we're not, we weren't used to that. So I, I think Dame is number one. He has to uh, show up damaged finger and all. He has to show up against Alex Caruso, but, uh, maybe Rondo and LeBron James for like eight minutes. I think that is our biggest advantage in this, in this. Yeah. The Lakers are picking Dame up 94 feet. I would like to see the Blazers imply two different strategies. The one could be, have CJ bring the ball up the floor and then have somebody set Dame a screen off ball for him to either get an open look or just to get some momentum right now. He's not able to even call for call for a pick, you know, 35 feet away from the basket to even launch any of those logo shots. Um, Secondly, I, I would like to see him maybe work a little Chris Paul magic into his game. That's where if you feel like you're, you're getting up on him a little too close, you know, just try to initiate contact and get, them into foul trouble make it not so comfortable for them to pick you up 94 feet you know paul is the master at getting the ball and then maneuvering his body in a way so that he's on now in front of you but mm, they grab can, him yep so i would like to see those two strategies work did they has dame ever crab dribbled against somebody is that part of his game i don't remember him like doing the crab and then initiating contact i I'm sure he can do it, but I haven't seen him do it. Yeah, he don't more remember. so will, will dribble and then feel, especially off of a handoff or off of a screen, he'll feel the defender and go up for the shot and try to get the foul that way. But either way, I, I think we need to see Dame be a little bit more aggressive with, with the ball in his hands. Like, make no mistake about it. it. Dame at 34 in game one, even though it felt like a quiet 34, it was still 34. It was flow of the offense 34. Yeah, right. if you if we don't get above 30 from Dame. I, I just don't see there that there's any way humanly possible we beat this Laker team. Like we need our superstar to play like a superstar. And again, this is not any any blame on Lillard that they're selling the house, the car, and the the college fund to, mm. to get to get Dame. Like they are they are making any other blazer not named Lillard beat them. And mm. it it worked for one game. It didn't work for another. So again, that's on the Blazers. There are matchup opportunities and there are going to be advantages on the offensive end of the floor. They have to be patient and they have to move. Like it's like the equivalent of saying, I really wish I could win the lottery Sage, but you don't go out and play. 
Mm-hmm. You can't just say, I really wish I could open shot if you're Gary Trent or CJ or Mario, but you're just standing in the corner and Dame's, you know, all the way across court. He's not gonna be able to get that past you. You gotta go get you gotta go get that ball and make that shot. So I think I definitely think that the the other players that don't have the ball in their hands in every possession have to make themselves more available. I mean, we talked about it. Shoot. I don't even know. I think against the Brooklyn t- game when uh, Rio took a really bad pull- dribble pull up from 15, it was because Nurk, Dame and CJ didn't make themselves available. So I think we got to make ourselves available for Dame on drives or when he's trying to split the double because he had four turnovers today. I don't remember ever talking about a game where he had more than like three in more minutes. So I think the Lakers are definitely making that effort to make Dame make more difficult decisions with the ball. And the other four players aren't making it easier for him to get rid of the ball. Yeah. The floor seems too spaced. If that makes any sense, like there's just, there's too much spacing and the Lakers they're, they're building a wall around any ball handler mm-hmm. Dame or CJ. And what I mean by too much space is you're not moving. You're not moving to an open space. Like you may be open, but there's no way that ball is going to get to you. If mm-hmm. there's two or three hands. like you have to rotate over to open space. So it's an easier pass what's behind the back or you give some sort of visual passing. Lane. Yeah. yeah. Passing lane. You, you make yourself available and that's just, I hate talking about this team, but watch the Golden State Warriors when they were in their prime. They weren't content with just standing still waiting for the ball. They initiated that to get the ball to them. I mean, we run we run the same scheme, but for whatever reason, we don't rotate and run around the perimeter like the Warriors did. I think that more uh, more player movement will allow them to make easier passes because there is no lane. Like if Dame's on the left wing and someone's open on the right wing, you're going, you're trying to pass it through LeBron James, Anthony Davis in a center to get it. Like that, that, that ball getting intercepted. That window is too tight. What I will say is my X factor as a player is Yusuf Nurkic. He is a Draymond Green type of facilitator, and that's what the Warriors have. They put the ball in Draymond Green's hands at the top of the key in the middle of the floor, and they let him facilitate. Nurk's probably going to cough the ball up a couple times, but that we saw in that first quarter. He had, I think, the lob pass to Gabriel, and I believe he had a couple of backdoor uh, dimes to, to our guards. And Hassan, and it resulted in a foul. And so we really need to let him facilitate because we can't rely that relies around. We can't expect Damian to be able to do it all. The Lakers are just loading up too much. It has to go into Nurkic. He is a willing passer. He is a capable passer and he can also hit the mid range or the three point shot. If the defender plays off, Um, we're going to need triple double Nurk to come away with the victory. So, so Yusuf Nurkic, um, I feel like he's been really underutilized in these first two mm. games. Um, he needs to eat. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And yeah, he's he's had his moments here and there, but we need our double beast. Like he carried us against Memphis, so we need 
We need that Nurk. We need to involve him more and we need to run some offense through him to, to at least give the Lakers another look, you know, lighten up some of the tension between our ball handlers and Laker, the Laker defense. So, so Nurkic is my number one X factor. So in 600 possessions, he has, uh, assist, he has the second highest assist percentage on the team. Damian has 34. So 34% of the assists come from him. And then Nurkic has 17% of the assists when he's in the game come from him. We definitely, they aren't playing him like he is that good of a passer. The Damon Nurk running a pick and roll and then Nurk making a decision off that roll would be a really interesting way to attack the Laker defense because he is a good decision maker off the roll, off that short roll. So just think about like Gary Trent spotted up on the same corner that Nurk's rolling. That could be a really easy pass. We have to really think about the easy pass because this Laker team is defending the hard passes. But if we can make angles easier and shorter, I think it'd be a really uh, beneficial to this team. My statistical X factor for the Blazers, it has to be three-point shooting. This is our bread and butter. This is what opens up everything. It just hasn't dropped in these two playoff games. We went 13 of 34 for 38% in game one, and that was really benefited by making four straight to really close out that performance. And then tonight, it was uh, it was pretty ugly, Sage. We shot eight for 29, a sizzling 27.5%. That, that, that's that's the game right there for the Blazer offense. We love to shoot threes. We take a lot of threes. If CJ is going to get open threes, and this is just an example of a play that really, I think, summed up the night, Dame was able to get to the cup. CJ moved to the open space. He moved over to the wing. Dame kicked it out off a of dribble penetration, wide open three. It didn't go in. We didn't see it. One, we should have ran that more often, but when that type of look doesn't go in, um, that's crushing, especially when you have them hitting tough threes on the other end of the floor. So I think the Blazers just need to see the ball go in the basket, and I think collectively they'll start to to get it going. We saw this with the Orlando Magic in game two today. They started out, couldn't throw it in the ocean, and then it just snowballed, and it was a domino effect, and now all of a sudden they can't hit open mid-range jumpers, and, and the game's out of hand. So the Blazers, I think they need to get off to a hot start, especially from downtown. Uh, get those virtual fans excited to whatever home court atmosphere they can get. Um, I think it starts with a three-point shot with this Trailblazer roster. Can I have two? I think turnovers and rebounding are huge for us. We have to win both battles. So throw less turnovers and get more rebounds. The rebounding thing is... That's just effort and boxing out. I think that we as a team need to gang rebound and stop their second chance buckets because giving up those second, third, and fourth chances is huge. And then because of how they play defense, we have to limit turnovers. We can't give live ball turnovers so they get easy dunks and three-pointers. So those would be my two that we got to focus on. And I think the rebounding is key. We, we have got to limit second chance opportunities. These games are being played at a late 90s pace um, in terms of scoring. The Blazers are, are averaging 94 points a game. I think the Lakers are averaging like 102. 
So every time a bucket goes in, it's like you're playing the grit and grind Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Like you're giving them two, like two points feels like four. You got to, if you hold them on a good defensive series only to give it up off of a rebound. Again, that's another thing that's just crushing for this blazer roster. Sage, who is your player X factor? I mean, Dame every single time. But if we weren't going to say Dame, if I was going to say a secondary X factor, I think CJ McCollum has to be more efficient with the offense. So I think our guards have to be, it's a, it's a guard heavy day because they only have one real perimeter defender in LeBron James. So I would, I would like to see our guys be able to hit the open three. If the, if the guard dribble driving, make yourself available by getting out of the paint, spotting up or get ready for a lob. Because I think that on those drives, we're way too congested and it's playing into the Lakers plans. What is your prediction? It's tough, bro, because we saw, we saw a B game that was a win and an F game that was a loss. I know the good news is the Blazers have not put together an A. An A. I, I fuck it. Blazers won. Yeah, I've I actually am gonna go Blazers win as well. Um if you ask me why, it's more of a feel than anything else. Typically when teams get blown out, that's an ego. That's a hit to the mm-hmm. ego. It's it's a you know, hurts your pride a little bit. You know, you're a little bit embarrassed to go I on. I mean Dame, media. CJ Mello, Hassan, Nurk. Gary Trent, do you really think they're happy about getting embarrassed on national TV? The and late they, night hammer? Come on. And they, they know they're going on Saturday Night Prime. Like, don't don't mistake that for one second. Um, the, you're playing the Lakers, so you're going to get all the trolls. You're going to get all the media attention. This is the team you absolutely have to show up for. Um, I, I think the Blazers learn from it. And also, I, I think the Blazers need to treat this as a must win. Again, if they win this game, I'm not saying they win the series, but if they lose this game, I think you can make some pretty Is there a way that if they lose on a last second basket, does that change it? I mean, a loss is it, it does if they can come back and win it in game four, clearly. But but I, I do think that when you're an eighth seed and Dame talked to Mark Spears from the undefeated about kind of channeling their own we believe warriors vibe when, when they upset the Mavericks in 07 uh, as an eighth seed. You know, da- Dallas and Golden State split those first two games. Mm. Then Golden State went on that, you know, they really showed why they were that threat because they came back and beat them again. Um, again, I'll go back to the heavyweight fight a- analogy. Portland, I don't think, can take two knockout blows from the Lakers. Uh, losing on a last second shot. It would be just pretty gut-wrenching. It would be better than getting blown out, absolutely. But I think the Blazers need to get it done. I think they, if they really want to win this series or at least see it go six or seven, you, you, have, to, you have to continue to, to fight back and, and get up and show some more looks at the Lakers. I guarantee you the Lakers aren't going to change anything. Mm. They're, they're going to continue to run that same starting five. They're going to continue to play that same style of defense. It is now on Terry Stott's and the Blazers to adjust. Mm-hmm. Take those open shots, rebound the basketball, take care of the basketball, and you know we'll see where we're at. But I think the fact that they got blown out may have been a blessing in disguise. It, it does hurt because it could go the other way, and now you've given the Lakers all the confidence in the world. 
but I'm going to look at it on the other spectrum and say it's going to be an ego check um, for the Blazers, and they're going to really try to get their pride restored, and they're going to come out swinging. So um, I think we may get a ceiling game game. I think that's what it's going to take, and I think Yusuf Nurkic can have a big performance as well. So that that's my that's my prediction. Yeah, I, th- I think we win, and I think it's a uh, Dame has to show up, but I think that the other four players on the court also have to show up. So I, I think it's going to be a team win, but obviously Dame is going to have to play above his thirty point per game average and score more and assist more. But I, I mean, he can't do it alone. You need that team to support. You know, you watch that Bucks game, and it was Giannis having a great game and no one else. Game two, everyone else stepped up. So for us in game three, everybody else has to step up with Damian Lillard. What did you think about the uh, draft lottery, the two top picks going to the Western Conference teams? Did you? How do you feel about that? Like I told you, thankfully, it's a, a weak draft. Any other year, it'd be kind of scary that both top two picks are going out West. I mean, it's like, what else is new? The West continues to get better, but I think the number two pick doesn't end up in golden state. Oh no, no, no. They're packaging that pick. And Minnesota's already talking about moving the number one pick and that it's available for trade. Like this isn't your typical draft where there is a surefire number one pick. The best player could come from pick 23. Like you just don't know. Spokashevsky could be the bull on steroids that people think he could be. So, so they, if you yeah. can finesse a team and to from, like take a young proven player with a lot of upside for a crapshoot in this draft, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of GMs do that. But um, I would, I, thinking, I, I wouldn't want to trade anything of asset, anything of real assets for the opportunity of getting Anthony Edwards, and he's been the number one guy on my board for a while. But you know, if I were the Minnesota Timberwolves. I would go for the guy with the highest ceiling in their head because Anthony Edwards isn't going to get you fired, but he's not going to get you, you know, that second contract as a GM. But like, uh, if Lamelo hits, that's life change. That that's career changing for that franchise. Stay away from Lamelo Ball because of his this dad, or do you not like his game style? Both. I think that he can I, be I one of the best all point offense, guards. Yeah. No defense. I mean, um, Anthony Edwards and that uh, Bleacher Report said he was a great defender. I've yet to see one good game of him playing defense. Yeah, and like I said, Anthony Edwards, like there's 68 teams that get invited to the big dance. Georgia wasn't even competitive this year. Again, I know Ben Simmons didn't lead LSU there, but again, I don't think Ben Simmons has lived up to the hype of a number one pick either. Uh, I, I think there is some stock in, in being good in college, and Anthony Edwards wasn't. He's still – He's still living off that high school rep. I still would take him just because of um, twos are extremely valuable in, in this in this draft. And, and really, there's just not another short, short, short thing. I wouldn't want a top pick in, in this draft. I just I just hope Golden State's not able to finesse a team into giving them something of value. For James Wiseman or LaMelo, I, I mean, I feel sorry for those teams that need that lead initiator that were expecting it, like the Knicks, like – you go from having Killian Hayes or LaMelo to Tyrese Halliburton, who I think is a good – he's a good player for that second contract. He's going to suck with the Knicks. Anybody's going to suck with the Knicks. That franchise is a dumpster fire. It definitely does push some wings down to, you know, 
the mid lottery or down to where the Blazers are because you know people want to get those Tyrese Halliburton type of initiator prospects. I mean, the fact that uh, Tankathon has us taking Josh Kareen Olszewski or Tyrese Maxey's kind of silly, and Precious Akonwu being the twelfth pick is laughable. But Josh, Josh, I've watched plenty of Arizona basketball this year. That's that's not a player who's yeah, ready. He, to... d- he can't shoot, right? He no, he can't shoot. And again, the Blazers don't need somebody who's two years away from being two years away. Like we have, we have one Gabriel, we have Nasir Little, Anthony, Gary Trent, like. Jalen Ward, like the amount of young players with potential, we have too many. We already have too many. Like Go if, if you're going to draft somebody, some, like you better be able to help Damian Lillard day one. Like I have never, I am usually like the biggest like draft homer ever, like best player available. You, the draft is the greatest thing ever. I am not sold on this draft class and I am not sold on another rookie on this roster. Like I'm ready to go all in like the Lakers and the Clippers did like we got, we got to do this for Dame. Like if we're looking back on Damian Lillard's career in seven, eight, 10 years, whatever, we need to have no regrets. And right now I think there are some regrets that we have. Like, so we need to make these next few years count. And, you know, I've been on the bandwagon of trading the pick. And again, there may not be any takers because a lot of GMs may feel the same way. I mean, about the first draft. and second pick are up for grabs the 16th. Exactly. <laughs> so we might just have to draft, you know, a three or a four who can come in and hit shots and defend. Um, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things that we have our stars, right? Go for a high-risk pick because we have we have guys that are consistent, you know, like, if if Pokashevsky is that guy that you think is a game changer, take him. Don't take a guy that has limited ceiling. Because I would argue that. I'll, I'll give you the example. So let's go to last year's draft class. Two players in a similar, taken similar, but completely different games. You have a guy like Matisse Thibel, who maybe has a limiter limited ceiling, but he's ready to play right away, and he's playing in the playoffs. Or you've got a Darius Baisley, who's showed some promise, but I still think he's a ways away from contributing in, in meaningful minutes. I think in normal terms, I am with you. You take the higher upside guy. We're in a small market. We need that. But I I just I don't care about five years from now. If you if if our guy can play good now for five years with, with Dame, excellent. Like we just and I guess it's because we've never been in this position. Like the, it's been 20, 28 years since we've had a player of Dame's caliber. And that was Drexler finishing second to, to MJ and the MVP runner up uh, in the MVP voting, excuse me. Um, you know, we, and, and even in 2000, we had a team littered with veterans. So anytime we could get a rookie, we would take that. But the way that we have such a dynamic generational talent for the trailblazers, and we already have so many young players. Uh, again, we may not be able to trade the pick because GMs may not want uh, the 16th pick in this draft. But I would, you know, is there, is there a guy like a Matisse Thibel who can come in and just play, like be a good bench player because that that's, we really lack just a lot of depth. I feel like if we want to be the fifth seed, we should uh, go with the safer person. But if there's a chance that his analysis says that this person could be game changing, we should take it. Cause that 
How long are we going to have to wait for that person, though? Dame's going to be long gone before this person even plays. I mean, shit, like... I mean, look, regular rookies, what? they Sometimes they take their full rookie contract to... Like, Zach Collins is who I would consider a high upside pick. It was mm-hmm. relatively unknown, sixth man at Gonzaga. We're in year three, he's going on year four, and he really hasn't developed or, or proven anything. Um... Whereas, you know, you could have taken a, a more "quote unquote" safer player in, in John Collins. Mm. Like he he's still getting better. Like John Collins was considered much more of a safer pick. But I think that's why he he dropped a bit. Um, I don't know. I, I was just saying, like, if I'm Damian Lillard and I'm seeing us take a, a guy who's four or five years away from contributing, I, I'm going to be pissed off. I mean, we already <laughs> we have plenty of those. I don't know. Exactly. It's it, it, it's it's we don't know who's going to be there. I mean, if if Tyrese Maxey's there and he, he's as high on my board as he's on Neil's, I'd be better to fucking take Tyrese Maxey. This isn't a proven science. Drafting isn't a proven science. I do trust his gut in what players he finds. That Sometimes. Are... Yes. But it, it's a, I think it's a higher hit rate than most. I feel like he's every other year he... He does something good. And, and I'm, I've been a Neil apologist in the past. I'm more pessimistic towards him, especially after, compl- and it's, it's really, it's that 2017 draft that I'm still pissed off about. Uh, we, were heated, <laughs> we were heated the moment those two picks were in and still probably just as heated there. He clearly found a stud in Gary Trent Jr. Uh, given where we picked, Amphrey doesn't seem like a too bad of a pick. Um, Nasir Little fell into his lap uh, last year. I guess that's my point. We already have our, you know, basically work in progress players in the Sear Little and Anthony Simons. Like, get me a guy that that's going to come in like Matisse Thibel. And I think there will be a player around there. Those players slip. They slip for a reason because those GMs love to find the home player. <laughs> like, draft picks are now like gold. Mm-hmm. But because of the financial instabilities and uncertainties due to the pandemic, we don't really know what the salary cap's going to look like. And again, this is this is league wide. Nobody is really thrilled about this draft class. We we could see a lot of strange things happen. But again, if we're expecting the draft to be the Blazers' big splash, we're in for a world of hurt. The Blazers. I, I mean, if there isn't someone willing to dance with us, we might as well invest in the draft. But uh, I think we're going to go more into this when there's less actual playoffs happening but if you listen this far you're a real one and uh you can find us on itunes google play stitcher himalaya podcast nothing but net radio tuesdays two to three western and eastern four to five anything else you want to talk about fucking vote just do it register order your ballot early they're trying to screw us out of this election make sure your vote counts Please, for the love of humanity, vote. There, there's no sitting out this this election. Can't sit out of democracy. You may not be happy with the choices, but in my opinion, there's there's a choice that's much much better than the other one. It's not even my guy. My candidates have been long gone, as I'm sure a lot of you are as well. But just vote. Vote like your life depends on it, because a lot of people of color. A lot of LGBTQ people, their life depends on it. This vote is for the Supreme Court. 
you know, we're hoping and praying that, that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg can just hold on uh, until this election, because this is what the election is about. It's for that Supreme Court justice spot. I, I, if I have to describe any more, I've already lost it. You should know how important that is right there. So please just, just vote. Like it, it's, it's incredibly important. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.